We'll go ahead and get started. Welcome to The Loaded Goat. I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And I, today, brought on my two close family friends to, to have some more time with Aaron. Do you want to introduce them, Aaron? Why don't you, since you guys are apparently taking <laughs> holidays together and things like that. Yeah, next up, Flag Day. <laughs> Randy, Alan, why don't you say hello? Alan, go ahead. Uh, I'm Alan Newsom. I'm the uh, host of Two Chairs No Waiting podcast, and it's it's always great to be here and uh, talking on the Loaded Goat because I mean, what a great name for a podcast! I love that. So I'm yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, I'm Randy Turner. I've been on before, but I've uh, as as Alan, but I've uh, I'm an author. I've written three books about the Andy Griffith Show. So, and I recently. Um First, before we die, before I go into this, we're doing Man in a Hurry today. It was, it's people's favorite episode. We wanted to have, you know, kind of a round robin discussion on it. So really grateful that both of y'all are here. Randy, I was watching Collector's Call on MeTV the other day. And what a great um, story. It's uh, the there was an avid Andy Griffith collector um, and he was featured on there. But he got as a present an autographed copy of your book, 60 Years of uh, Mayberry by Dixie Griffith. Yeah, it's pretty funny because um, several people, including Jim Clark, who started the Andy Griffith Show, Rear and Watchers Club thought that I had arranged that, you know, and it was really brilliant marketing. I said, I wish I had known it, it sold out on Amazon like in an hour after that aired. Yeah. But yeah, that was a real nice surprise for me too. I didn't know But the guy they featured is named Mike Haviland and uh, Alan and I both know him very well. He's a tribute artist, just like Alan is for Floyd. Uh, Mike does Sergeant Carter, but he has a really extensive collection and he's just a really, really nice guy and a former uh, champion several times over the, the uh, trivia contest, which at the uh, Mayberry days is incredibly hard. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. He knows the stuff. He's been featured. MTV does those little, you know, kind of advertising and done trivia uh, by Mike uh, several times before he got featured on the collector's call show. So, yeah, that was a nice surprise for me. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. No, and, and you told me it was kind of book started. You, you basically would have cleared out your inventory because with the with the folks who saw the book, yeah, yeah, that's a good problem to have. But yes, that is always a good problem to have. But I, it's a it's a great book. I encourage um, folks to um, check it out, and it's really reminiscing. I mean, you're hearing from folks like Dixie Griffith, but you're also hearing from a lot of other people with a connection to the show, right? Including Alan Newsom. That's right. Yeah, I wrote Alan wrote a piece for it as well, talking about when he uh, performed with Don Knotts in Nashville. Well, about your career in general, but that was kind of like the. The bookend pieces about him going out on seeing Don Knotts walk out on stage from backstage and transform. So yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a. I was really pleased with the way it came out. Yeah. So so actually, tell us a little bit about that, Alan. Uh, I mean, you know, if he because I've seen Don Knotts in interviews, and Don Knotts is always just this very reserved, kind of almost soft-spoken man and then he turned and then it's just kind of like it's almost like a switch is flipped and he goes on stage or he goes or there or the camera starts rolling That's exactly what the story was about and randy uh helped edit or at least or suggested <laughs> edits into it because i tell the story but writing it's a little different but yeah the uh the story you know andy griffith always talked about don knotts he his one of his great joys of his career was to go to work every day and watch don knotts turn into barney fife and I was able to see that. I was at the uh, Aubreyland Hotel at the theater there, and we were going to be doing the uh, Don. It was a Mayberry show that we were doing. So David Browning as the Mayberry deputy. He was the tribute artist for Barney, basically. And Don always enjoyed having him be the opener for him. 
And so Don was backstage dressed in his salt and pepper suit and sitting in a chair and just kind of waiting to go out there. And eventually he walked over to the edge of the stage and the stage lights were lighting him up. All I could see is a silhouette of this man standing there with his head down, his shoulders kind of slumped over, just kind of standing there waiting. Basically, the story is about me watching him as David Browning began to talk about, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce to you all these you know, accolades for Don. He started mentioning and you could see that shadow begin to stand up more straight. The head came up, the shoulders squared, and by the time they called his name, he raised his arm, walked out on the stage, waving at the crowd. It was just, I got to experience a little bit of what Andy was talking about, seeing Don Knotts turn into Barney Fife, because you could see that switch throw from a quiet, reserved man to somebody who in complete control of an audience. It was pretty amazing. That is really amazing. And it's it kind of makes me think of Randy, what you were telling me about him taking Don Knotts taking sometimes a week or two off just because he needed to kind of emotionally regroup um, between episodes. Yeah. yeah. He had that written into his contract when he eventually signed the contract because it took a lot out of him to be that manic. It was not his personality, really. It was an act. He was acting. He was not really like that in real life. Bruce Bilson, who also contributed an essay to the 60 Years of Mayberry book was the assistant director for the first two seasons. And he said he learned pretty quickly to schedule those scenes where Don Knotts had to become so manic as Barney very early in the day, because he said after lunch, you know, it just wiped him out to have to act like that. So he would, you know, put the quieter scenes after lunch and the more manic stuff in the morning. So Don still had the energy to do it. But yeah, that's why he, you know, he literally had some episodes off uh, periodically. You know, that's largely also why I skipped, why I didn't show up for the recording last week is because, you know, it's a lot, it's a huge intensity for me to have this type of energies. I think it's like connect really closely with Barney on that too. It's real obvious. It takes a lot out of you, Chris. It does. It does. (laughs) does. We actually now have a special guest who's joining us as well. We have Ken Beck, who's um, jumping on. Ken has has been very involved and has written several books on, um, on Mayberry and the Andy Griffith show. And I think it's fair to say that with him and Jim Clark basically got the Andy Griffith, the revival of the show and the following of the show back kickstarted again. Um, so welcome, Ken. Thank you. And give that credit to Jim Clark and his club, the Andy Griffith Show Rerun Watchers Club. I was kind of along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so today we're doing Man in a Hurry, and so I think I'm just going to do a round robin. I think we'll start with you, Randy. This is a beloved show. It's a great show. It kind of has a different feeling from the other shows, but kind of start and kind of tell us what it mean, that show means for you. Yeah, I mean, it is when people ask me my favorite episode, which I can never really name one, but it's it always pops to mind. I think it's especially just beloved because it, it really does epitomize much what the show is about, you know. I think sometimes saying it was a simpler time can be a little bit too much of a general way to say it. But on the other hand, you know, the the idea of that, and it's just so comedic watching Malcolm's reactions to, you know, people just sitting on the porch not doing anything and he can't take it because he can't understand why you didn't want to have that slow of a life. But of course, by the end of the episode, he realizes that maybe that is the preferable way to be. But it just really epitomizes to me a lot of what the show is about. Yeah. How about you, Alan? I grew up in a a small town and in the South. And uh, when I was growing up, everything was closed on Sunday. Everything. Uh, Maybe a gas station could be open. But I mean, basically everything was closed. So when you see this episode and you see Malcolm coming into town and there's nobody there, everybody's at home or spending time with their family. 
you know, that brings back a lot of memories from my childhood, especially. It's always, I feel like, like Randy was saying, the Man in the Hurry, it's not necessarily one of the most funny uh, laugh out loud episodes, but it really does give you a feeling of what the town of Mayberry meant. You know, that you, that it was family. They gathered together on Sundays and they got to, they, they visited and there was that, that time of doing nothing and spending time just sitting on the front porch and just visiting with each other. And that's just something we don't do anymore. So I think we talking about a simpler time. You, you don't have that happen anymore. Uh, or rarely do you in Huntsville, we had a tornado came through here. Well, a lot of tornadoes back in 2011 took out all the power. And honestly, that's the first time I met some of my neighbors because everybody was outside because it was hot. And, but everybody was sitting on the front porch and visiting with people. And you know, it was really nice for a little while until the air conditioner wasn't running. But anyway, uh, but that's what this episode kind of embodies, I think, is a man coming into town and used to the city life. And then, wow, he gets hit by this slow pace where people slow down and actually spend time visiting with one another. And to start with, it was a shock. And then he actually kind of liked it. You know, Ken, what does it mean to you? Well, I would echo what these other fellows have said. I do think this is my favorite episode because it does, uh, it's, it's what Mayberry is about. I started, uh, I was in the third grade in 1960 when the Andy Griffith Show came on it for a year. My dad was overseas, so we lived in a small town in Arkansas, 2000. That was the county seat. And that's when I started watching the Andy Griffith Show. And what you see there on this Sunday afternoon is exactly the way that small town was. I mean, you know, it opens with the church. You see the church saying, uh, you see the boy, you know, Opie talking about his lucky penny for Johnny Palmy. This is classic America in the 1950s and 60s. And uh, I won't get on to the conclusion yet, which I consider the most perfect uh, epilogue of any Andy Griffith show saying. But, you know, this what this man experienced, you talk about something that we need in America today. We need to calm down, <laughs> slow down, take it easy, and be kind to one another. That's, that's, you know, again, that's what the whole show was about, but especially this episode. And again, in the ending, we can talk about that a little bit more later. But anyway, that's, that's what I got. <laughs> no, I agree. And I mean, I think that's one of the things this episode, I think where I agree with all of these points. And I think that's one of the things that this episode, it's, I mean, I think in 1963, it was a starkness of what it was like maybe in the city versus what it was like maybe in, a, in the country or in a smaller town. I feel kind of like, Whatever we're talking about, whether you live in a city or a small town or a mid-sized area, we still kind of lost that feeling across the board. And I mean, it's one of those things where it's not really like city versus small town or anything. It's just almost kind of like the feeling of slowing down actually takes work. And I mean, that was the thing I felt like watching this episode is it's almost like once he actually did slow down, it's almost like there was a sense of peace that came over him and he didn't know what to do with himself. Yeah, I mean, I identified with what Alan was saying about the tornadoes. That's how I felt about like the first two weeks of, I mean, it's terrifying, but the first two weeks of the COVID lockdown, right? Like it was, everything was slower. Everyone was nice. People cared for one another. And it was a, you know, a unifying time that I think you can kind of get out of this. Yeah. So this episode first aired on January 14th, 1963. Like a lot of classics, it was written by Jim Fritzell and Everett Greenbaum. We open with a car breaking down on the side of the road and out gets a man in a nice suit. I'm not even going to wait until it's revealed. We'll go ahead and just tell you his name is Malcolm Tucker. And he is played by Robert Earnhardt. 
who Aaron Rubin said was perfectly cast for the role. And this was Earnhardt's first of two appearances on The Andy Griffith Show. Probably, I love this performance, but one scene that always just had me doubled over laughing was his role as the psychiatrist in the um, television production of No Time for Sergeants. That just, and where finally... Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's how he runs Will Stockdale off and he's in tears because he can't just because he because he doesn't know what to do with himself. That was just one of my all time favorite moments in that episode from the live production, the U.S. Steel. Yeah, I I would also say that. Yeah, he I thought he looked like Mayor, the late Mayor Pike's uh, brother. I feel like they they have very, very similar faces. So it's good to see Pike back on the screen in some form. Yeah, we see that Mayberry is two miles away, so he hosts it to town, and it is completely empty. I mean, Twilight Zone-like empty. I mean, it is. I've never, we've never seen Mayberry that empty before. But then we hear church bells, and we realize it's a Sunday. And this just is the way it starts. It's just, I mean, even for an Andy episode of the Andy Griffith Show, it starts in a very peaceful, no dialogue type manner, different from anything I think I've seen to date at this point. Yeah, I, I kudos that. Yeah. And you cut to the church and Andy and Barney are leaving and Reverend Tucker, no relation to Malcolm, calls Barney out for nodding off. But Andy says he was on a stakeout until 4 a.m. And this is actor William Keene's first appearance as Reverend Tucker, but he would appear as this character all the way through Mayberry RFD. Yeah, his name changed occasionally, but he was always the Reverend. It always seemed to be the same Reverend, too, so. Yeah. You know, another neat thing is this the name of the church is perfect. All Souls Church. Doesn't leave anybody out. That's a good. That's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that because they never really. And if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, y'all would know more than I would. But they never list a denomination at the um, on Andy Griffith, do they? No. No. The, the only thing I the only thing I think you can say is that it probably wasn't a Baptist church because they they christened the they baptized the kids as as infants. Right. They, no, they never, they never ever, and which is a good thing. They never spelled anything out for sure. Yeah, it was just a, a Protestant church. Or something. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. a Catholic church. But well, yeah, you could tell that from the setting, but yeah, but again, they never specified anything. Yeah. And Tim's point is excellent. All Souls is a absolutely perfect name for it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I agree. And I love it right after that, right after that's when I think Opie was over there. It just, it was just so much like a real little town because Opie's over there and Andy sees him. What are you know, yelling at him about not picking the horse hairs out of his <laughs> suit? You want your suit to go soft and all that stuff. I mean, that was just memories from being a kid. You know, that kind of stuff was going on. You get out, out of the church, you start playing out in the churchyard and getting something, get your Sunday go to meeting clothes dirty or something. It was real, it felt real. Absolutely. I mean, how many times I can remember being in fooling around in the church parking lot after church and putting a hole in my church pants and, um, and, and, you know, always got in trouble for that. But, um, one of my favorite is when Opie trades the horse hairs from his suit for the flattened penny. And of course, we have a great Johnny Paulism. It's like if you put them into stagnant water, they turn into snakes. <laughs> This is, I think this is, I'm surprised that this is, I think, the first mention in the episode of a flattened penny at a railroad track. That seems like something Opie would have been doing regularly for years. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, then Malcolm approaches Andy at the church and he says he needs help with his car because he has to get to Charlotte for urgent business. And Andy explains to him that Wally doesn't work on Sundays, which... 
you know, it's so funny. I mean, even today, I still feel like, well, am I, am I going to get a mechanic on Sundays? I mean, other than getting an oil change, it still feels like that is one profession where you are kind of like, yeah, it's, you've got to, re- if you're going to go, you better, you're either going to have to pay a lot or you're going to, or there, but you're going to, or you're going to have to find something because they, mechanics gen- generally do seem to still be closed on Sunday. I mean, my town of Helena is clo- real closed on Sundays. There's like one place to get lunch and everything is closed. It's dead. So I can, you know, empathize with this issue. It's very real to me. Yeah. And then, but he says he'll take him to see Gomer. And this is the, we obviously saw him in the bank job a couple of weeks ago, but this is the first time we have an episode that was filmed with Gomer Pyle, who is, of course, played by Jim Neighbors. I will, we will spend more time talking about how Jim Neighbors came to be on a future podcast. He's got an extensive history and an extensive spinoff, but Frizzell and Greenbaum wrote the character for the script based on a real life of experience Greenbaum had with a mechanic whose only solution to fixing a Chris car was to put more gas in the tank, which was, I guess, the mechanic's equivalent of turning it off and turning it <laughs> you know, Sometimes you got yourself an E when you think you have an F, you know, so you got to be careful of that. <laughs> One of the other things right before that was when he was talking to Wally and they were on the front porch and Wally's in his rocking chair, you know, and he identifies what's wrong with his car by the sound. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You got yourself a clogged fuel line. How do you know it by the sound? Because he's telling you, have a, and then, you know, he's going through that. But then what I've always thought this is funny and I've always wondered if, if that was in the script. I've not read that script, but you know, he says, watch your foot about to rock forward. You know, he's like getting him the state. You know, I'm rocking in the rocking chair. Uh, but then of course, Gomer is amazing in that. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's saving up to be a doctor is what, <laughs> what one of the lines is there. There's a lot have, of great lines in this. That's this. fantastic. Uh, yeah. I have to say the doctor line is one that's always bothered me a little bit because yeah. Greenbaum said he was inspired by, you know, all these the girls competing for Miss America. They, they all plan to be brain surgeons or, you know, whatever, what they want to do with their career. But the fact that I would have rather had Gomer say that line, because when Andy said it, I'm like, oh, come on, surely Andy knows he's not going to be a doctor. You know, that was a I won't say it was a misstep, but it was I would have preferred to have Gomer say it as a little bit of trivia, by the way, when you see Gomer by the gas pump talking over his shoulder, you see a farm. That's the real McCoy's farm. That's where they were filming the real McCoy's. It's on the same back lot. So, and eventually that's where Camp Henderson was, where Gomer Pyle was in the Marines is in that, that same area. That's fascinating. And we're going to have such a topical guest come up. We will. We will. Ken, you had some thoughts. I was going to say, yeah, that line, he's uh, saving up to be a doctor. That really doesn't ring true. It's a little, I think it was a little mistake, but you know, the rest of the script was beautiful. You, you know, the, too broad, you know, so yeah, yeah. I always thought that was a, a actual joke, you know, because I mean, in general, the Andy Griffith show didn't have jokes in general. They were comments about the character. But in that particular instance, I don't know. They ever really thought Gomer was going to continue. And so I think that was a throwaway joke that almost they used, yeah. which was because yeah, I agree with Ken. That was not that didn't fit with the way they normally handled the characters on the show. Yeah, I tried to explain it away that maybe Andy was just, he realized that it was going to happen. He was just pulling a little gag on Malcolm. That's how I tried to rationalize it. <laughs> my, my rationale is always on some of this stuff. It's like when you watch an episode where somebody from the big city comes in and is like in your, is like just all up in um, Andy's business. Andy almost just kind of slows his draw down just like by a beat and um, just kind of has some fun ribbing the guy. And so I think when he was like, rip, you know, picking on Gomer or just yelling about Gomer, I think that was just Andy's way of just 
having a little fun with Malcolm Tucker. That was what I took I took from it. I have to say too, though, Jim Neighbors, I, I just think is brilliant in this. And he was not an actor. No. You know, they had actually cast George Lindsay to be Gomer originally. And he saw uh, Jim Neighbors performing at a, a nightclub called The Horn in Santa Monica. But for somebody that, you know, I just think he's fantastic in it. Yeah. He's not a trained actor, you know, but he, boy, he really, the persona is just hilarious. He does it so well. Yeah. And I mean, this is his first time. You can, I mean, can you imagine going on one of the top, your first time is to be a pivotal character on a top five television show and you just kill it, which is what he did. I mean, that's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, and some folks out there probably won't know that. Andy Griffith basically had told George Lindsay, you've got the role as Gomer. And then about a week or so before, somebody told him, go catch Jim Mabers' act. And so Andy had to call George and say, I'm sorry, we've got another guy that's better. And, you know, you can't imagine George Lindsay being Gomer and Jim Mabers being Goober. But, but George said that he, uh, you know, they kept mentioning the character, so he kept hoping that one day they were going to show that character. And, of course, that did come along and, you know, created his fame as Goober. Yeah, he um, and he he ended up. I mean, I, and I couldn't see it that way. I have to imagine that must have been a heartbreaking call for for George Lindsay to get. Oh, it was definitely, definitely. Uh-huh. And so with the uh, with Malcolm being as mad as he can be, we mentioned they go to Wally's house, but then Malcolm goes back to the filling station and asks Gomer to help him. But Gomer says he can't help him, but his cousin Goober can, which. I feel like I'm going to butcher this, so I'm going to. So what did what exactly did Goober figure out how to do with it? Placing some sort of engine on a boat. Alan, you can probably put it best. Uh, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, he had a, he had like a. I just remember the oh, that's fast on water. That's real fast on. Water. <laughs> that's real fast on water. I can't remember the actual motor. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, well, it's like who could work on my car? I, I think don't know who. That's what I remember. Oh. It's a cousin Goober, that's who. Yeah, he finally does that. So, but he ain't home. He's he took his mom out on the lake in the boat. You said it's a V eight engine, Ken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is really funny. I mean, it, yeah, it, it is just kind of. It is one of those things where I do kind of like because it's sixty. I think right? it'll do sixty, and that's fast. I, on water. Fast on water. <laughs> that's that's scary. Fast on water. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, it is one of those things where, and I can kind of sympathize with, I can kind of sympathize with Malcolm Tucker at this point, because you are just a little bit like he's just trying to figure something out. And it seems like nobody's even, nothing he's saying is registering. But then he steals Gomer's truck and I lose all sympathy for him <laughs> at all at this point. And, um, and he goes and, he, and Gomer gets Sarah to connect him to Andy. And we go to a fairly early commercial. I always note the fairly early commercials because they typically hit around the 11 or 12 minute mark. This hits around nine minutes. And before we dive in, we're going to do something special for the uh, for the break. Uh, Christopher, you have um, you had compiled a list of the 10. Yeah, biggest yeah I mean, there comes a point in every person's career where they uh, they reach the pinnacle and they come they make a listicle. You know, so it's it's the height of literary prose. So I did the top 10 men in hurries across cinema. You know, I didn't want to compare at all to the episode or TV. We're just talking silver screen work. So I'll go through these and then please ask any questions. Let me know if you have any concerns and we can go from there. Number one, Dominic Toretto from Fast. 
start at number 10. Why don't I start at number 10? Yeah. Forget I said that first one. That's, All the, right. that's the whole point of the listicle is you count. Is that how it goes? All right. Yeah. <laughs> number 10. And also wins for best hair. Tristan from Legends of the Fall. Number okay. nine. Why do you have him? What, what's he in a hurry to do? He's always in that horse, just riding real fast across the prairie. That's true. Okay, falling in love, stealing hearts. <laughs> we got number nine, Herbie from Herbie the Love Bug. Very fast, very fast character. Number eight, Shake and Bake Rick, Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights. Yeah. Number seven, Joseph Turner from Three Days of the Condor, if you remember, the, or the book Six Days of the Condor with Robert Redford. So basically, after he goes to lunch and he comes back and his entire um, team is dead, he's basically in a hurry the rest of the movie, correct? He's in a hurry to find out what's going on. Things yeah. are pretty intense. Yeah. Number six, coming of age, Fogel from Superbad, in a hurry to grow up. He's got the fake ID, looking to grow up. Is that McLovin or is that or is Fogel another character? Fogel's McLovin. Okay, Vogel's McLovin, okay. All right, number five, Mitch Amhoff, played by uh, Matt Damon in Contagion, in a hurry to stay healthy. You know, I haven't seen that movie, but it seems like it could like, be about number five. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's a little bit of a stretch. He basically has the whole Contagion come to his house, and he just happens to be immune. <laughs> he's not in a hurry for anything. He's just cool. trying to keep it together. Yeah, but he's in a hurry to tell everybody about it, I think. Yeah, the rest of um, them are in a hurry. <laughs> number four, Inigo Montoya. Princess Bride. Goes without saying. Goes without saying. Number three, Simba from Lion King. Can't wait to be king. Come on. Writes itself. <laughs> Number two, Lieutenant Frank Bullet from Bullet. Driving real fast. Got to mm -hmm. catch up. Yep. Number one that I teased earlier, Dominic Toretto from Fast and the Furious 1. I would say that's not uniform for all the Fast and the Furious. I think it, he's also pretty, he's in a big hurry in Fast 5 too. He has that. How do, how do folks feel about this list? Uh, it's a list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I take I take that I, as a I plus think, one. I think maybe the rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. He was always there. Oh yeah, that's a great uh, idea. Throw that one in as a possibility. Hold on, hold on one second, Ken. Okay, <laughs> good. I'm sorry. There's an early 1950s film war. I can't come up with the name of the actor, the star, but he's he finds out he's poisoned and he's got 24 hours to find the antidote. It's a, it's a great movie. Is that, is that DOA with Edmund O'Brien? That's it. That's yeah. it. DOA. That's a great movie. Oh, excellent, excellent. That sounds like a like a like a rushed moment for sure. Yeah, you see, race against time for sure. It's kind of like the the um, modern version of that is Crank with Drace, Jason Statham, but not as good. No. Well, All thanks right. for entertaining me. If anybody would like me to write it down and sign it, I'm happy to do it. Just drop a drop a note. Uh, we will. They will. Uh, they will. Don't feel obligated to do that, but yes, Christopher did put a lot of work, a lot of work into this, and didn't even bother seeing some of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> so um, after the break, they're at the jail, and Malcolm has been caught. Andy says he's not going to charge him, and Malcolm wants to make a phone call. But this may be the—I mean, of all the of all the stuff in this show, this is probably the. I mean, brilliant is just the Mendel Bright sisters take up the phone line every Sunday afternoon chatting and then he's not going to be able to get on. And so Andy invites him over to his house. I think they're My the real fun girls. Malcolm Tucker. Oh, Malcolm Tucker. Of the Buffalo Tuckers? <laughs> no, I'm from Charlotte, Tucker Enterprises. And I have... I knew Charlotte Tucker. 
she married that man who fell down a lot. <laughs> she married that lens grinding man from Hutchison, Kansas. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I use that line all the time. Anybody mentions Charlotte, North Carolina, or anything, I start going, "I know Charlotte Tucker." I say it. I mean, it's every every time. <laughs> no, it's a, it's such a quotable line for sure. And, you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if Ken would have any insight into this, but I've often wondered because Bob and uh, Fritzell, you know, they used uh, the Mendelbright sisters here. And then uh, in the Darlings Are Coming, which you haven't got to yet, Chris, but there's a fountain, a horse trough that's dedicated to David Mendelbright. And in the script, which they didn't use this in the series, uh, they, it said David Mendelbright was one of the founders of Mayberry, you know, or one of, you know. But I often wondered, I would assume it had to be somebody that they knew, you know, there's that name, because they use that name periodically, it keeps popping up. Yes. But I don't know if uh, that's true or not. I don't know, but it's a name that you, it keeps recurring. So. It's like the Coen brothers, and those the people they mention every movie. Ken, you were saying? When I meet somebody named Tucker, I always say, of the Buffalo Tuckers? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh, my brother. One of the lines he uses, he works for a, he works for a government agency. And one time he was working with somebody and he was doing his work. He was working on one of his issues and he was a police officer and he did a, he had a different uh, rule that he had to follow. And my brother goes, well, it looks like there's two kinds of laws in this place. <laughs> one for the citizens and one for the police. This <laughs> <laughs> is the Gomer pile one you will see. Um, Coming up, Chris. You'll see Chris. <laughs> so at the Taylor household, he keeps trying to make a phone call. But as Alan showed us, the Mendelbright sisters are on the phone talking about their feet falling asleep. And they sit down for Sunday dinner, and it looks like a heck of a spread. And I'm like, even as angry as I could be or as agitated as I could be, I'd be like, I'm going to sit down and at least fill my stomach. But Malcolm just has a meltdown. So i got to mention one other thing here. that and this, is, this is something that was not common on the Andy Griffith show. They worked to make it evergreen. You know, it had a feel of a different period, even though it was taking place in the 60s. They rarely made references to anything, you know, of a modern nature. But one of the rare exceptions here is Malcolm talking about, you know, people orbiting the earth when he's so upset. Yeah. Uh, that was very unusual. They really didn't do that very often. Men are orbiting the earth. And then <laughs> television has been in. <laughs> and he's going through all that. And where's a whole town brought to his knees or whatever. It's, I can't remember the exact quote. Because two old women's feet fall asleep. <laughs> and, it's, and, you know, and, and it's funny because that's the one, this is one where you're like, they don't bring in the outside world, but in this moment, it's just appropriate because oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. it kind of does that contrast. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a misstep. I'm just saying it's no. something they, they didn't do very often. So. Yeah, they, they, they used it. That was a very appropriate time to do it. Yeah, yeah. So Malcolm goes out on a porch, he lights a cigar, and as Andy and Barney sit on the porch playing the guitar and singing Church in the Wildwood, Malcolm begins to sing, and you can see his blood pressure coming down and a piece of feeling just kind of, or a peaceful feeling just kind of falling over him. Uh, I'm going to quit interrupting, but one other thing on, on this point here. Oh, wait a second. This is all it illustrates. Let it go, Alan. You can talk all over it. No, let it go. Awesome. 
Yeah. Sometimes casual fans will point out that, you know, they weren't always real consistent in their continuity. And my response is always, they were really, they were trying to tell a great story every week. They weren't that worried about being exactly consistent. But that's a good example because there are sometimes Barney cannot sing at all. Not a lick. <laughs> but here he actually harmonizes real well. <laughs> he's saying, you know, so, but that's the kind of thing that I, that doesn't bother me in the least about the show. I mean, it, they were interested in telling a good story and whatever made his story work made the story work. So yeah. Yeah. that's a great, that is a wonderful scene though. When he starts singing along. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of one of those things, like if you see, you've seen the mo- moments in movies or moments where something nice happens and everybody comes together and they have a moment and then things just start to improve. And what's kind of unique here is Gomer runs up and says, Goober is back and has towed his car and they're going to take care of every care of things. It's like what initiative. Yeah. Great initiative. It's great initiative, but it's like all of a sudden his problems are on their way to being solved. But instead of just being like, I'm going to sit down and have a bottle of soda pop or do whatever, or have a Coke or um, an apple, have an apple. He gets anxious again and starts pacing. And while Barney, of course, says he's going to go home, have a nap, and then go over to Thelma Lou's for a little TV. And he says <laughs> not once, but twice. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Take a nap. <laughs> over to Thelma Lou's for some TV. Yeah. And, and then, the then, then he gets the famous Nike line. That's what we always, we've always kidded. This is where Nike got it. Go home. Take a nap. Just do it, man. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Nike got this slogan. Is what I definitely. I mean, they wouldn't admit it, but I would. It would not surprise me if somebody said, "Yeah, just do it." So I have a theory about why he was so in a rush and why it was so important he gets to Charlotte. And I would compare this also to another man in the hurry, is Denzel Washington's character in Training Day. He's got to get the money so he can take it downtown, and I think that he has to get a certain amount of money that's in the car down to downtown Charlotte and it, it, he's just got to get there. And so that's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot riding with him getting there. It's not just for like a meeting that can be rescheduled. It's life and death. You mean, so the Russian mob is going to kill him. If he doesn't, <laughs> if he doesn't get that money to Charlotte, Well, we don't know. <laughs> no, no, we don't. <laughs> the way the show ends, I hope that's not. That's not <laughs> Gomer. So then basically Gomer uh, shows up a little later saying he needs, needs new spark plugs and they're a buck 15 a, a piece. Mal- Malcolm barks at him to just do it. And then Andy, who's I think is really just kind of like me just being the Eddie Haskell or just needling him through parts of this show asks, asks him to watch to see if he can peel an entire apple without breaking the peel. And then, which is a great scene and it obviously comes back a little later. And then later Gomer pulls up with the car and he says there is no charge because he doesn't need new spark plugs. He insists on paying, but Gomer refuses. Aunt B then gives him food for the road and Opie gives him his mashed penny. And I think at that moment, not only does Malcolm realize I've been yelling at these nice people all day, but he also realizes what am I doing? These people seem to be in a good a good place, and I'm I'm acting this way and trying to get to Charlotte. What's wrong with me? That's what we call like a Mayberry hug, right? Yeah. Everyone just supports them in every different direction. Yeah. And then Andy wishes him well. Malcolm pauses and decides to stay. He gently does this, but he tells him there's something wrong with the motor, and he should wait until the morning and let Wally take a look at it. Andy sees what he's doing and agrees, and Gomer leaves, and Andy walks inside as we go to commercial. 
I have to add, I really love the line of Opie about adventure sleeping. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> Where does he like underneath the ironing board between two chairs? I'm going to get to sleep on the ironing board between two chairs. That's adventure sleeping. Because Mr. Tucker says that sounds terrible. No, that's adventure sleeping. Gomer has a number of just great classic one-liners. Uh, several others are lots of luck to you and yours, which is a perfect way to say goodbye to a friend. Yeah. And with your neck, sir, that comes in handy sometimes. And this is the first time you hear him say, Goober says, hey. You know, tells Andy, Goober says, hey. That's the first time you hear that, which how many times did they follow in the rest of the episode? It's, yep. <laughs> lots of luck to you and yours. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the uh, and not the tell so and so that you know so and so says hey that's uh, that's definitely was something we all did growing up after after seeing you know think because of Gomer and Goober and then in the epilogue Andy and Barney and Malcolm are on the front porch and Andy says it'd be a good idea to go get a bottle of pop and they see Malcolm ask Malcolm if he wants to go and they see he's sleeping on the porch and we dolly in on a peeled on an apple with a peeling still intact as we go to commercial, probably, you know, not, not, it's not a funny ending and it's not a dramatic, really a dramatic ending, but I think it, of all the epilogues, it's the best. And when I think about the epilogues being cut in syndication and this thing, not making it, it kind of breaks my heart. I would say that it is kind of funny because they repeat uh, uh, like the whole thing where he loses it, the just do it. They're kind of repeating this whole, well, we should go uptown. Should we go uptown and get a Coke? I don't know. Let's go uptown and get a Coke. I think I sounded like George Bush there for a little bit. But I do think there is like some element to it that I thought was funny. The uh, the apple feeling saying is, it always makes me cry. <laughs> and that was Andy Griffith's idea, by the way, to have the apple feeling this in that episode. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with Ken. It is like the perfect, the perfect epilogue. It really is. Yeah, because it shows uh, Malcolm Tucker, who went from that high-key, keyed-up person at the beginning, he's slowed down, sat down on the porch, started trying to peel an apple, rocking in the chair, and dozed off, you know, and relaxed. You know, so you get to see that change happen to him. And that's, yeah, it's, it's what the Andy Griffith Show has you, it makes you feel like there is that you, uh, you end up with that feeling of slowing down, Realizing what's important and sitting there and relaxing and seeing the things around you. And I, I think that's what the Andy Griffith Show really means to a lot of us is that family, friends. What's really important in life? Are you going to are you going to remember how quick you got to Charlotte? Or are you going to remember sitting around and visiting some people that you enjoyed? When you did this the first time with two chairs, no waiting, or when you were going through the initial run of episodes, was there anything that really jumped out to you or anything special about it that, or did, was it just, did, I mean, is it, or is it, or is it, your, is it, is it, I was just curious. I'd love to hear like, it's just your thoughts on it as you did, did the podcast on it. I don't even remember, but I mean, every time you watch these episodes in my, to me, they, something different is brought out. To you. I mean, it's almost like it's uh, you, you get a little bit something different depending on your mood, I believe. If you're all keyed up and you've had a rough day at work and you watch this episode, I almost guarantee you by the end, you're going to feel better. And so that's true of all the Andy Griffith Show episodes. But this one really epitomizes that, I think. You know, what's really funny. There's another episode that's the ended thesis of this called Sermon for the Day. We saw all fans will remember where they're. It's a Sunday and they're working like they have to get a band concert that night. 
it's kind of funny to juxtapose those two episodes. Yeah, but they, but they learned the same lesson by the end. But you're right; that is the the antithesis of it. Yeah, it really is. So, again, um, oh, Randy, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to mention to Chris because I know that Chris, you plan to come to Mayberry Days this year, so you can practice in advance. They do have at an apple peeling contest. Ooh, yeah, I do need to practice. This. You need to you start know, working on that now. Yeah. I'm pretty good with like, I mean, I'm talking small ball here, T-ball, but like I can do a, a Clementine in one peel. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, I mean, people will do them. I don't know what the actual length oh, is. Like pretty long one, yeah. Some odd inches of unbroken apple peel, you know, so they pretty impressive. Uh, the winners, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, I'll get on it. Okay. Yeah, you told Randy you're going to Mayberry Days. I appreciate you telling him and not well, telling him. Well, we went in on an Airbnb together. <laughs> <laughs> They've been traveling a lot together. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I've been told. <laughs> yeah, we're all buddies. Yeah, yeah I, see, I see. Well, this is this is the story of my life. I bring people together and they they phase me out. Um, <laughs> No, the um, so each episode, as as y'all know, except for Ken, I don't. You haven't you haven't joined us for a breakdown before. But what we do is we do whistles, and it's basically a scale of one to ten whistles. Randy has always jumped out, but this time he's going to have this is easy. I mean, yeah, this, is easy this, is, this isn't a ten. Come on, yeah, yeah. So, but let's go round. I think is it or actually before we do round robin, actually. I know it's going to be 10 whistles with everybody, but let's everybody explain why it's a 10 whistler. Ken, we'll start with you. What's the question? Why was this episode like, like a four star 10 whistle episode? Why is this, a, why is this a, a perfect episode for you? Oh, it's, it's, it couldn't be, this episode couldn't be better. And I'm going to say the funniest part to me is where they're talking about Barney's talking about going to Thelma Lou's and, you know, repeats it three times. That is just pure great Barney. And meanwhile, Mr. Poor Mr. Merriweather's, uh, it's just seething over there, but it's just, you know, later on they bring it back. But Andy says later on, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go, this is an evening scene. We ought to go uptown and get a bottle of pop. And, and I think that's maybe where Barney says, well, you want me to go? And then Andy says, no, I'm going. So well, let's go. I said, well, where are we going? Where are we going? <laughs> that's good stuff. It is good stuff. Um, how about you, Randy? Yeah, I mean, I just end up repeating what I said earlier. I think I just think it gets uh, pretty nigh to a perfect episode. I mean, it's, you know, it, and as somebody said earlier, you know, you could be having a bad day, but I'll, I would challenge anyone to watch this and not end up, you know, with a very warm feeling. I, again, it's not the funniest episode they've done, and nor should it be, but it is a really moving episode. And as Ken mentioned, especially with that epilogue, I mean, it is just perfection. Yeah. And to me, this is a. Uh this is something you don't see on television anymore either. I mean, it's a great oh. episode. We've already said that. You do not see a show where nothing is happening. Almost the whole, I mean, it's very slow and low key. The entire show, it let, it brings you along with that, with Mr. Tucker as he experiences this, you know, nothing's really happening in this. It's very slow, but yet it's enjoyable. There's things, there are things happening, but it's, there, there's a lot, there's times where nobody's really saying anything, really. They're humming the church in the wildwood. And then they start to, but it's just, they allowed it to build or to develop or to, and, and that's just stuff you, you just don't see that anymore because it's so, uh, television has to be so fast and you've got to get, you know, joke, joke, joke. I just think this is an amazing piece of art, really, if you look at it from that perspective. Uh, but it so much captures what Mayberry is about. That just, it's amazing. 
Well, to echo what Alan said, I said, you know, any modern show, comedy, in quotation marks at times, close your eyes, you're going to hear a laugh every 10 seconds. I mean, they they just have to have it nonstop. And those porch, here the porch scene actually did add to the story. But sometimes there are things on the porch scene, they don't, it doesn't even really advance the story, but they're hilarious. They're beloved by fans. But yeah, it's a show that was not afraid to to take its time. I always say it probably wouldn't get greenlit today. But uh, the pacing of it is just, uh, especially in this episode, is just perfect. And there's so many of those scenes like that that are slow paced like that. Oh, yeah. I don't even know which episode they're in because it right. doesn't have anything to do. They almost stand alone. Yeah, they're, they're standalone things almost that have no connection to the actual show. Now, this case is a little different, obviously. Yeah, this one does advance the story. But, yeah. but in general, there's a lot of scenes like that that don't really... But those are what's special. I, th- I think those are the special oh, yeah. parts of the Andy Griffith shows. These little, wow, they just allowed this to happen. And it doesn't really, I mean, it, it's part of the story, but it's not the story of that episode. So, yeah. Well, y'all ruined my joke. I was going to give it two stars or two wishes. <laughs> <laughs> but you just assumed. Uh, you know what I liked about this is I, I you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in love with Gomer in the, in the heist episode a few back, but I, I think that it really lets new characters shine in a way that, that, and they have multiple characters coming in that way. So, so he shines. We obviously have Mr. In a hurry. And then, you know, the, the sisters on the phone is the new fun girls. Like it is just an amazing way that they integrate all these new characters in, uh, throughout and still develop a plot line as it goes. And they give moments for each character to have a, have a unique way that they shine on their own. Andy does what Andy does best and then B shares and then you get some weird Opie moments too and and Barney's Barney. So it, it is just kind of a full encapsulation that that I think is deserving of 10 whistles. Yay. I would give it obviously 10 whistles too and <clears throat> to I agree with everything. I think you know <laughs> um Alan um one of the things you were saying is about like with shows that don't move this makes me think of there are every like I feel like every landmark television show that I think about it now, whether it's a drama or whether it's a comedy, but definitely more with dramas have those shows where the Sopranos had the Pine Barrens episode, Breaking Bad had the the fly, um, the episode where they've got the fly. And it was one of those where it, they really it's all something's happening. Nothing's really happening, but something so it's much the is Chinese happening. restaurant. It's the yeah. Seinfeld Chinese restaurant. Yeah, but nothing if something's happening below the surface. But this was one where, like in those other ones, you're like, okay, they're trying to say so much, and they're but you know they're trying to do this. And this was one where you watch it and you're like, this really is nothing happening. There's nothing happening, but so much is being said about a way of life in this town and and what this means. And 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 it kind of it is one of those, and it's one there are plenty of episodes where there's a lesson to take away, but this is one where it's almost like it's a lesson that could apply. It's not about being a dad. It's not about being a kid. It's not about, it's just about trying to live, enjoy the moment and enjoy the journey. And that's um, something we all, that's a constant struggle for all of us. I think, especially as an adult, you know, when you're a kid, that's a lot of that's your life in the summer, (laughs) you know, that slowness, at least it was for me. But once you're an adult, you know, this lets you realize, as you said earlier, what's really important. Yeah. Or Alan said it, somebody did, but yeah, it's, it's just a great episode. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Oh, go ahead, Ken. Let me add one thing. Uh, of course, in the, when it ran originally, at the very end of every show, Andy or Mark, some of the cast members would be in a commercial for General Foods. And there's actually a Sanka commercial you can find online 
it was at the end of the show, and it's Andy and Malcolm Tucker drinking coffee, and they're t- and the two old ladies are on the phone again, and they actually bumped up the sink of coffee too. Look it up; it's a real treat. I will it's do. Also, on all the Blu-rays, and I think maybe even the DVDs have the sponsor spots. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, any final thoughts? No, just do it. Just do it. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys for being here. This was great. This was really great. And I, yeah, this was, this was, yeah, so glad we were able to do this. Christopher, next week we do High Noon in Mayberry. Do you want to give us a preview of next week's guest? I would love to. This is, uh, we've got a, uh, a real McCoy coming on. We've got Josie Montana McCoy. He's a voiceover actor based in Tinseltown, uh, that, that I've known for a number of years. He's fun to be fun to come on. So he gives us a, a preview of, uh, of a feud is or his review of a feud is a feud as told by by someone who's deeply involved in the feud you know nine generations back and yeah it's a fun episode yeah that we had to reschedule because of a a covid scare and then also a a star wars con so he's he's a real goober (laughs) but he did show up on time and I didn't think so. And uh, well, thanks to, thanks for listening. Check us out on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think about it, subscribe. Um, until then, folks, don't give Christopher too hard a time. This is just a part-time thing for him. He's, he's saving up to be a doctor. 